0: Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it! We're in the middle of this series called Winning Culture, and we're answering the question, what does a winning culture look like? Uh, Because if we don't know what it looks like, how can we hit the mark? Uh, This series has been somewhat of a living document, meaning that it's changed multiple times uh, from inception to the delivery. But I feel like God is still in the middle of it. Um, As most of you know, one of our stated core values is being spirit led. And that has certainly been the case With This series and someone might say well couldn't the Holy Spirit have just given it to you the right way the first time Uh, Yeah, I suppose he could have and maybe he tried And either I didn't hear him or maybe it was just a test to see if i'd be willing to pivot From what I thought we were supposed to be talking about Uh, I don't really know, but I do feel like god is in the middle of it. He's speaking to us Uh, And I believe that if we'll put into practice the things that we've been talking about that we will begin to see more wins in our lives as Christ followers, which will lead to a winning culture. Because by definition, a winning culture is a culture that has more wins than losses. I mean, we're obviously not perfect, and we're going to fail from time to time. But as we grow in our faith, we should be failing less often. I don't want to make the same mistakes today that I did yesterday. I want to create a culture of spiritual wins in my life. Uh, For example, last week we talked about the peace of God. And we looked specifically at Philippians 4.8, where Paul said, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And we asked the question, uh, what if Philippians 4.8 became the filter for everything we do? For everything we listen to, for everything we watch, for everything we speak, before we watch it, we listen to it, speak it, we ask the question, is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely and admirable? Is it excellent or praiseworthy? And those of you that were here or heard the message, how did you do this week? Did anyone pay closer attention to your thought life, the things that you were saying, the things that you were thinking about? And then... Correlate that with your peace level. Did your peace level rise as you diminished the negative things that, we were, that you were thinking about? Did you notice any difference? Or when we think about things that are the opposite of Philippians 4.8, how, how does our peace level decrease? There's no question we're in a difficult season because things are happening in the world that we clearly need to be updated on. So it feels like just turning off the news is not really an option. COVID, terrorism, hurricanes, I mean... How do we balance all of that? And I'm not suggesting that we never watch the news, but I do think it would be good for all of us to get some of our bad news in moderation. I mean, I think we can all agree that it is bad news. It's bad news that drives the ratings, catastrophe, death, conflict. That's what keeps us coming back for more. And for whatever reason, our minds are, are wired naturally to think negatively. Negativity and our mind, they're just, it's like a magnet just pulling themselves together. Psychologists call it negative bias. And negative bias is our tendency to not only register negative stimuli more readily, but also to dwell on these events. And this negative bias means that we feel the sting of a rebuke more powerfully than we feel the joy of praise. And then the article I was reading said, in almost any interaction, we are more likely to notice negative things and later remember them more vividly. I mean, how many of you have done that? You've had a great day at work. 99% of the time and one thing happened, you go home, what do you think about? The one thing. It just infiltrates our mind. Additionally, they said studies have shown that negative news is more likely to be perceived as truthful. And since negative information draws greater attention, it also may be seen as having greater validity. And this might be why bad news seems to garner more attention. Look, you think the multi-billion-dollar news industry doesn't know about negative bias? Look, it makes me mad that they're manipulating me by using my own psychological makeup against me. I mean, certainly, isn't new. What do you? I mean, Paul was talking about this in Romans. Well, all through the New Testament, right? He talked about our thoughts and our minds and pulling down strongholds and taking thoughts captive. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, very popular verse of Scripture. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. He's saying don't conform to the world's way of thinking. We can't allow our minds to be shaped and molded into this negative bias. We must be transformed. The word transformed is metamorpho. And that's where we get our word metamorphosis. Right? So think like caterpillar to a butterfly. and That's what transformation is. God wants to take our, our minds from caterpillar form to butterfly form. He says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word renew means to, it means renewal, it means renovation, or a complete change for the better. We need to renew our minds to change them for the better, the way that we think. And I love this definition, I've never seen this before, but the root word, one of the definitions is this, to cause to grow up. I think some of us need to hear that today, we need to grow up. And I know we're talking about spiritual things, but even if you take the spiritual side out of the equation, some of us are just downright childish. It would do us some good to go to the woods and cut our own switch and get spanked. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by growing up in your mind. We have to stop thinking and acting like children. Right? We're supposed to be maturing in our faith. We're supposed to be maturing in our actions and in our thoughts and in our words. And we wonder why we can't get to the next level financially or spiritually or emotionally. And I think a lot of it is just right here. We're just too immature. Listen, our peace and our joy are under attack. I mean, can you think of a time in your life where your peace or your joy was under more of an attack than it is right now? I mean, everywhere we turn, there's something else to have to deal with mentally and emotionally. And it's taking its toll on people. I mean, we talked about depression a few times in this series over the last few weeks. Remember, I said that antidepressant use was up 300 percent and still growing in the last 10 years. I mean, we would be naive to think that that is not somewhat connected to social media. I mean, studies show that our anxiety levels are higher based on the amount of time that we spend on social media people under 25 may find this hard to believe, but there was a time when you physically had to buy People magazine to be jealous of what other people had. (laughs) Or you had to buy the National Enquirer to get up on the scandals, lies, gossip, and slander. I mean, why do we even do that to ourselves? Because inquiring minds want to know. That was a better joke than you gave me credit for. (laughs) Now, we have access to it in our pocket all the time. Stanford psychiatrist Anna Lemke said this, that social media is a drug. See, what's happened is is we've unintentionally created a perpetual cycle of comparison. And I don't think any of us intend to go on social media and compare, but we still do it, even if it's in our subconscious. We used to say that someone was green with envy. Anybody remember that statement? To be honest, I don't even know what that means. I mean, I know it means you're full of envy, but like where did that even come from? Apparently, the origin of the idiom green with envy is believed to come directly from William Shakespeare. In Othello, Lago warns Othello, he says this, Beware, my lord, of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on. Look, I know that's not from Scripture, but it's so true. This perpetual cycle of comparison and jealousy and envy, it feeds on our insecurities and our desire for more. We've gone from green with envy to screen with envy. Why is comparison even... Why is it so toxic? It's because when we fall into this trap, we only see the best in others' lives and the worst in our own. We begin to live this if-only life If only I had that job or if only I had that car, if only my wife was more like his, if only my husband was more like hers, if only my kids were more like theirs. But what you don't see is her husband snores, passes gas, and it's just as gross as yours. Sure, their kids are photogenic, but they talk back. They fight with each other. They cry at bath time. They cry at bedtime. They cry when they wake up. They won't eat their food. They pee their pants right after you ask them, do you have to go to the bathroom? (laughs) That sounds bitter. (laughs) (laughs) I was processing part of this message with Katie, just kind of talking about the comparison trap. And she was telling me that how she has some really close friends that she grew up with, and sometimes they get together for lunch or whatever, and they tell her how it just, it just seems like online that our lives are so perfect. <laughs> if they only knew. Uh, I'm about to tell you a story, and I want to warn you that it's gross. Uh, in some ways, I might even say shockingly gross. All right, <laughs> I want to hear and it, it's uh, regarding Bennett. I, ha, I asked him for permission. I said, hey, you remember when this happened? Do you care if I share this tomorrow? And he said, no, it's fine. Uh, but <laughs> uh, while we were on vacation, we were at the beach. Um, the boys are learning to swim. They don't, they don't quite have the don't swallow the water concept down pat yet. Um, so Bennett apparently swallowed a good amount of seawater on this particular day. And um, by the time we got back to the place where we were staying, his stomach was very upset. So up to this point in his little potty trained life, he hasn't experienced the amazing phenomenon of diarrhea. (laughs) Um, And so Katie takes him to the restroom. We're in the pool and we got the hose and we're hosing off our uh, sand toys and, you know, just getting all the the sand and, and salt and things like that off of us. So she takes him to the bathroom downstairs. We're not in our room. We're downstairs like in the, the public area. And um, when she comes out, she just says, wow, that was rough. <laughs> and so we continue on. He gets in the pool. We're playing or whatever. And then a little bit longer, his stomach just starts hurting. And again, he's so young, he's just not really experienced this before. We're like, do you need to go to the bathroom again or whatever? And um so he's like, I don't know, but his stomach turns like, let's go to the bathroom. Pretty soon, we're like, okay, he's got to go right now. So we get out of the pool, we're drying off, and I'm trying to hurry to get him inside. When we get inside, I realize that he's already had an accident, and I'm leaving out details for the faint of heart. <laughs> and You've probably heard stories where I've told you that my gag reflex is not, it's not good. Uh, Bennett takes that after me. Like if you, we cook something in the house, he, he won't even sit next to you if he can smell your food. He's like, I'm sitting over here, and, you know, you, you know, he gags just so easily. And I've learned to not actually throw up when I gag, but he does throw up. He's just, again, he's four. So when we unveiled this traumatic accident, the smell and the mess was unbearable. And I began to gag, <clears throat> to which he began to gag. And then he throws up so one last detail before I move on from the story, because I know it's gross. He throws up. Now I'm standing in a public bathroom about six by six on a tile floor, wet, barefooted, in a pile of diarrhoea and vomit. Here's a picture of what it looked like. I just, I, I'm just kidding. I was just kidding, there are no pictures. Here's what I'm saying. On the outside, things look a certain way, but internally, there's struggle. Like, everybody struggles. Everybody in the room has their own vomit or diarrhea story. Everyone has a bad day. Everyone has those moments where we say things that we wish we hadn't said. But when we compare the worst moments of ourselves with the best moments of others, we will always feel inadequate and inferior, and it will rob us of our joy. The words of Paul in Romans chapter 14, he said, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, The context of Romans 14 is really about eating meat and causing others to stumble or judging someone because they're not on the same level as faith. Faith is you regarding, you know, what they eat. And honestly, when I read it, all I could think about was masks and no masks, vaccines and no vaccines. And I challenge every person under the sound of my voice to read Romans 14 in its entirety and ask the Holy Spirit if your actions and reactions, words and judgments have been Christ-like. I'm not going to chase this rabbit, but you should 100% read it for yourself in that context. Romans 14:17. for the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace... And joy in the Holy Spirit. Anybody remember that old song? Righteousness. peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. Nobody knows the song? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. Who, know, who knows the song? <clears throat> I'm gonna teach it to you anyway, okay? Just because you're looking at me funny, and I don't, you know, I got the mics. So here's what we're gonna do. <laughs> It just goes like the righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. Sing it, Johnny! Righteousness, yeah. <laughs> peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. Now pretend you're on a Caribbean island. Righteousness, and peace, <laughs> and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. Yeah, man. Amen. Nobody remembers that song. Okay, listen. The kingdom of God is supposed to be working in us and through us. If Satan can steal our peace, he's taken one-third of what we're supposed to be operating in. If he can steal our peace and our joy, he now controls two-thirds of what we're supposed to be functioning in. Like, I don't know anyone who functions well with only with two-thirds of their operating capacity being eliminated. Peace and joy are so closely related. Because if Satan can rob us of our peace, then our joy is soon to follow. And when we live in a constant state of worry and stress and anxiety and comparison and fear, it will affect our joy. Peace and joy are under attack. Everywhere we turn, there's another attack aimed to steal our joy. And why is it important for us to recognize and be aware of this? Because Nehemiah tells us that the joy of the Lord is your strength. So if the joy of the Lord is our source of strength, then the inverse of that is also true. A Christ follower with no joy has no strength. I mean, there's no wonder why many of us are losing battle after battle. We've lost our joy, and therefore we become weak. There's no strength to fight. There's no strength to pull down strongholds. There's no strength to pray. Look, and I understand that we don't do all of those things in our own strength, that it's Christ in us who enables us to pull down strongholds. But if we lose our joy, we often lose our will or our desire to even fight. When we lose our joy, it affects everything. We don't want to get up in the morning. We don't want to go to work. I mean, have you ever been in a place where you've just been so down and had such a loss of joy that doing the things that used to bring you joy, you don't even want to do those anymore? Here's the problem a lot of us have is we're waiting on our circumstances to change so that we can have joy. We're waiting on our emotions to change. But circumstantial joy is superficial joy. See, if, if my circumstances can produce my joy, then my circumstances can limit my joy. And I don't know this isn't the deepest theological truth you've ever heard, but really this is a reminder in a lot of ways. Sometimes we don't need more information. We need to do something, we need to do more with the information that we already have. Our joy is based on who God is. The joy of the Lord comes from a place of knowing who we are in Christ. I said this last week in regards to peace uh, from Tommy Newberry, but joy is an outward sign of inward faith in the promises of God. See, the joy of the Lord isn't based on circumstance. The joy of the Lord is based on who Jesus is. All of us want more joy in our lives. You know, we live in such a way, we try to, that we can produce joy. But the truth is, is, we should be living from joy, And not for joy. I want to live my life from a place of joy. Not living my life to create joy. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul gives us the famous nine fruits of the Spirit. Verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. He continues, forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Listen, I've heard so many people say that you have to choose joy. In a lot of ways, that seems impossible. How do I choose joy? I mean, there seem to be so many factors that affect our joy. But we have to remember that we're not talking about happiness. We're talking about joy, not joy as an emotion. We're talking specifically about the joy of the Lord. So as I looked at this list, I just began to think about it. And it it became clear to me that, you know, I think joy is a choice. Peace is a choice. Joy is a choice. Love is a choice. We hear that all the time. We don't always feel love, but yet we choose to love. If you've been married more than five minutes, you know there are moments that you don't feel love. But love in a marriage context is commitment. It's a choice. As a parent, you don't always feel love. For example, when you're, you know, when you're feeling love and diapers need to be changed or bottles need to be made or the house needs to be cleaned, it's so easy to do those things. But there are moments as a parent that you're tired and you're grumpy and you're irritable and you just don't want to do those things. You don't want to have a slip and slide made out of vomit and diarrhea. But what do you do? You do it anyway. Even when you don't feel like it, the choice, the love, you choose to act on the love. I want to submit to you today that in the same way that we choose to love, even when we don't feel like it, we must also choose peace and choose joy. Don't allow worry and stress and anxiety to steal your joy. Pastor Chris Hodges says this, that what we worry about the most reveals where we trust God the least. And that's a, that's a heavy thought. But what a litmus test for us. What are you worrying about? What am I worrying about? Don't allow the enemy to steal your joy. Worse yet, don't willingly give your peace away. Don't give your joy away by participating in things that you already know will deplete you of your peace and your joy. See, a lot of times we're waiting to feel the emotion of joy or happiness to respond with our actions, but the opposite is true. Choosing joy is an act of faith. When we act first and act routinely with joy, then the feeling and the emotion will follow. When I used to be in sales, I used to it was in this book, and the, we had these sales meetings, and they would always make us say, "To be enthusiastic, you have to act enthusiastic." First of all, I didn't think it was true. Secondly, I hated it because there's all these happy salesmen, you know, that want to get up early in the morning and and I'm annoyed by them. And we're all in this room and they're like, to be enthusiastic, you have to act enthusiastic. And I was like, what is this, drama class? Like, I just want to get out of here. Leave me alone. But the truth is, there really is a lot of truth in that. Right? That's the reality. It's even scriptural that faith is believing in what we don't see. It's acting on what we don't see. Wayne Gretzky's is considered the greatest hockey player of all time. He said this, most players are pretty good, but they go to where the puck is. I go to where the puck is going to be. Look, the same is true of our lives. We have to take every thought captive and bring our thoughts and words into alignment with what God has already said. And if he says that the joy of the Lord is our strength, we come into alignment with that, even though our external circumstances don't always match up at that moment. Toby Newberry said this, being filled with joy doesn't mean that your life is perfect. It means that you emphatically trust God and believe that he has great plans for your life, regardless of what's happening right now. Remember, joy is an outward sign of inward faith in the promises of God. Look, like in the middle of writing this message, I had to go run an errand. And I wasn't mad about it, but I, was, I felt like I was in a good flow and I just didn't want to go. So I go to a store in Bellevue. <clears throat> And they didn't have, they didn't have what I needed. So I go online and I look it up, and the closest place was Walmart and the Shores. So I was like, okay, I gotta go get this. So I go to Walmart. And Katie got me some AirPods uh, for Father's Day. And uh, I used to think people walked around with AirPods and their ears were just I was like, you're so annoying. But man, I love them so much. It's like <laughs> A piece of my ear now. Like, I just want it. Like, I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed when I go in stores, but I just love it. Anyway, uh, so I've got my AirPods in, and I'm listening to Chris Hodges uh, speak on the topic of joy. I'm trying to fill my life and my mind with this topic so that I can deliver it the best way that I can. On the way back, I'm on baseline, and as I'm coming, you know how it's four lanes and it comes to two, uh, sort of as you're coming into baseline where a 90-second loop is or whatever. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. All right, so that's where I'm at. I'm on that red light and I'm crossing over. Uh, The light turns green. Everyone's being sensible. Um, There's plenty of room for everybody to merge because there's two lanes coming into one. I'm in the right lane, meaning, I, you know, I, I'm the one that has to merge over. The car behind me is at least two to three, maybe four car lengths behind. And there's no, you know, you, know, you following what I'm saying? Like, I'm here, and there's, like, this huge gap, plenty of room for me to get over. I'm listening to Chris Hodges preach about joy. I'm meditating. And as, as soon as I get ready to merge, they just sped up for no reason and got beside me and wouldn't let me over and just laid on the horn. I'm not talking like, beep, beep, you know, hey, you're in my way. Like, huh? as luck would have it i'm in our car that doesn't have a horn i know it's a safety hazard but we couldn't listen to the alarm going off every night it had some kind of malfunction so i just disconnected the horn so i can't honk back so i did what every god honoring christ follower community pastor would do i rolled down the window and was ready to you know yell finally they backed off they let me over and they're riding now, 200 yards behind me. I'm just like, "What is your deal? What is your problem? Like what?" And of course, I'm wearing my everyday church shirt because every time I have an, have some sort of kind of encounter, that's what I'm wearing. The reason that I'm telling you that is because I'm in the middle of, it. I'm 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 pouring the subject and topic of joy into my life. I'm being intentional about it. I'm reading about it. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm reading scripture, trying to fill my life. And right in the middle of that, the enemy comes in and he tries to steal your joy because that's what Satan does. Jesus said that when the seed is sown, that the enemy comes immediately to steal the seed that was sown. And that's what's going on in my life. I'm trying, I'm pouring in and immediately, Immediately he comes. The fact of the matter is that Satan will do anything that he can to keep us from being intentional about joy. Because he knows that a Christian full of the joy of the Lord is a strong Christian. He knows that the joy of the Lord is our strength. A Christ follower full of the joy of the Lord is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Let's continue to change the way we think. Let's renew our minds, a.k.a. grow up in our thinking. Let's filter our thoughts and our words through Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, and sisters, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. Because when we begin to think differently and speak differently, peace and joy will follow. Here's the last thing. I want to leave us with something practical and some ways that you can begin to and I also can begin to change, change my joy level and peace level. Uh, we'll call it first 15, last 15. Focus on joy for the first 15 minutes after you wake up. What we do first thing in the morning sets the tone for the rest of the day. And last 15, focus on joy the last 15 minutes of the day. Because our subconscious mind has its guard down in the last few minutes before we fall asleep. This is an opportunity that we want to take advantage of. So here's some questions for us to begin to do this. And I'm going to challenge you to do this, do that this week. Do that with us. First 15, last 15. That's not a lot of time. Number one, what could I read, watch, or listen to during the first 15 minutes that I'm awake? What can I read, watch, or listen to during the first 10, 15 minutes? Number two, what should I avoid reading, watching, or listening to the first 15 minutes I'm awake or right before I go to bed? The other day, you know, we were getting ready. We're winding down. Um, Katie's up. I She's like, if i fall asleep anywhere. Like, if she was tired and came in, she could lay down on the floor and just fall asleep. Like, I got to unwind. It doesn't matter how, how tired I am. I need a few minutes just to just relax. Anyway, she's going to bed. I was going in the house, uh, going in the kitchen to get milk and cookies or something. And, uh, and we came across this Facebook post and I was just so annoyed. And I was already preparing this message. I was like, this is it. I ruined my last 15. I, I, this is something that I need to eliminate. I need to take social media out of at least maybe way before that But I need to take it out of my last 15 before I go to bed. Third, number three, what can I tell myself the instant I wake up or right before I go to bed? What things do you need to be speaking out of your mouth? What affirmations do you need to say to yourself? What scriptures do you need to quote over yourself? I mean, let me give you an example. Every night before the boys go to sleep, they say what we call confessions. Bennett says it flawlessly and he will correct you if you say anything out of order. Uh, Emmett is a work in progress. Um, I'm going to play a quick pl- clip in a second. It's audio from last night. The audio wasn't great because he knew I was recording and he was being a stinker. Um, this clip cost me 4 MMs last night. And I was like, I'll give you two and on the front end. And then, you know, after you deliver, I'll give you two more. <laughs> I mean, this is a big deal because this is like bedtime. You know what I mean? It's like, and tomorrow after church, I'll buy you a whole pack of m and And so we wanted him to do it in here, but that just couldn't happen. So uh, I'm going to play this audio in just a second. Um, Guys, make sure it's up good and good and loud. Um, But this is how it goes. I'll say it for you first and then you can listen for it. Uh, His name Bennett means blessed. Liam means resolute warrior. And So every night he says, I am blessed. I am resolute. I'm a warrior. And there was a while that they were just I'm afraid. I'm afraid at night. And we don't know where that came from. so we began to just speak over them God's word. So this is how it goes. I am blessed. I am resolute. I am a warrior. I am brave. I'm not afraid. God is on my side. Jesus is with me. He's watching over me. He keeps me safe. God has not given me the spirit of fear, but a power, love and a sound mind. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. No weapon formed against me will prosper. And by his stripes, I'm healed. I'm God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for me to do. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. In Jesus name. Amen. Okay, can you guys play that?
1: I am brave. I am not afraid. God is on my side. Jesus is with me. So that you know me. He keeps me safe. God does not given me a spirit of fear. With a power, love, and a sound mind, I can do all things. You Christ, that gives me faith. No weapon formed against me will prosper. By its stripes, I am healed from God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for me to do. Thank was my name. Inhumed by the word of God. And now faithful, destruction, hope, ease, hope, form, compartments, and things not seen. This is the day the world has made. I will enjoy and make glad of me. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>
0: What could we be saying the last 15 minutes just to prepare our mind for rest and to focus on joy? Number four, how could I intensify my gratitude in the first 15, last 15? What are you thankful for? And when you lay your head down, what are we thankful for? In the book, he talked about, I forget the word he used, but there's like normal gratitude. You hold the door open for me, thank you. You know, you do something for me, I say thank you. It's just almost courtesy. But he talked about beginning to live a life of extreme gratitude. and That's not the language he put around it, but that's what he was saying. Where we're in a constant state of thinking about what God has done and is doing. Thank you, God, for the air conditioning. Thank you, God, for my car. Thank you that I have money to put gas in my car. Thank you for the soft bed I'm laying on. Thank you for this my pillow. This is the best pillow ever created in the entire universe. He talked about just creating a lifestyle of extreme gratitude where we're constantly pointing, looking at, because again, our our minds are, are, are negative bias. That's what we focus on. So how can I intensify my gratitude? Two more. Number five, how could I use prayer in Scripture? And number six, How could I incorporate Philippians 4, verse 8? That whatever's true and noble and just, those are the things that I'm thinking on before I go to sleep. I'll close with one last quote from Tommy Newberry. He says, remember this, that those who experience more joy don't necessarily have, uh, have more to be joyful about. They just think differently. A winning culture is people who are full of and strengthened by the joy of the Lord. I would encourage you today to choose choose joy. And again, I know this wasn't the deepest, most theological thing you've ever heard, but man, we all know. We know. We just need to do. Choose joy today. When the lady cuts you off on baseline, choose joy. <laughs> Katie and I were just talking about some things, you know, no, we were just things that have to change in our, our current situation. So you know, uh, Bennett's now playing soccer, which is three days a week, two practices and a game. He's going to school now five days a week when before it was just two. Um, Bennett, I mean, Emmett's also now going to pre, you know, pre three, three K, whatever it's called. I don't know. Somebody asked me where they went to school. I It's like, I don't, I don't even know the name of it. Like, <laughs> ask their mom. Anyway, uh, so we're just adjusting schedules, changing. Like, we're having to figure out this new routine, and it's it's frustrating at times because we don't have enough margin built in. Like, we can't continue to do what we used to do because the margin is no longer there. So some things happened this week that disrupted my study time, and I had to spend all day yesterday just finalizing my notes. (laughs) You know, I was just on my way out to the office, and I was like, all right, you know, we're talking about this. It's this kind of heavy subject, like, God, we're just, are we ever going to get this right? You know, and I'm just walking out, I'm like, I'm going to go write this message on joy. You know what I mean? It's just like so... (laughs) But in that, I was like, as I'm walking to the office, which is really just a shed. uh, But I'm walking out there and I'm like, "Okay, are you just going to write about this or are you going to choose joy? Are you going to choose joy? Even though I don't feel like it, I didn't feel joyful. You know. And things will always try to derail us. But let's choose joy. Let's choose peace. And let's silence the voices, no matter what they are that are depleting us of our joy and our peace. Amen. On behalf of
1: Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.